Greetings, this is Pastor Daryl Hall from The Way Community Church, where we are showing people the way to life with Jesus. Welcome to our podcast, where you can hear our weekly Sunday sermons. You can connect with us on Instagram, Facebook, and also our website, thewaycc.online. All right, let's dive into the Word. Psalm 124 is where we're going to be. and I'm going to just read one verse in our hearing to get us started this morning. Psalm chapter 124. We're going to read verse number one. Psalm 124, verse number one. Reading from the New King James Version. The word of the Lord says, If it had not been the Lord who was on our side, let Israel now say, again, Psalm chapter 124, Verse number one, let's read it together, church. If it had not been the Lord who was on our side, let Israel You may be seated in the presence of the living God. I want to talk this morning from this simple thought, the survivor's song. The survivor's song. October is a month where we celebrate overcomers and sing with survivors. According to the Susan G. Komen Foundation, for nearly four decades now, our country has recognized October as Breast Cancer Awareness Month. The goal of this month of awareness is to emphasize the importance of early detection and access to timely, high-quality care. Second only, to skin cancer, breast cancer is the most common cancer among American women. To that end, uh, the CDC's National Breast and Service Cancer Early Detection Program has been established to help women of various financial means still get the services that they need. For example, the CDC offers free or low-cost mammograms to women who have low income and are uninsured or underinsured. What that means to the daughters of the divine who are in this room is that there is little to no excuse for why you can't do your best to care for yourself. Uh, Pink has uh, has taken the world by storm. This this sanctuary today is 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 full of folk who have got on pink. And when we turn on our TVs later today and watch the Falcons possibly win or maybe not. We're going to see football players with pink uh, accents on their uniforms and people who are standing in the stands and in the crowds all wearing pink because we are more aware today than we were in the past of the importance of bringing awareness to this uh, this cancerous disease. Uh, The NFL has taken it a step beyond just celebrating breast cancer awareness. Now they have a campaign called Crucial Catch. And if you notice, it's more of a kaleidoscope of colors. It's not just pink anymore. And each of these colors are representative of different types of cancers. And the goal is to become more aware of our health and to do our level best to take care of ourselves. And so while we celebrate Breast Cancer Awareness Month, we also want to broaden our scope as a church to consider there are multiple types of cancers that threaten the lives of everybody in this room. 
Now, I don't say that to be morbid or to create or invoke fear, but we are not people of fear. I say that as a pastor, a brother, and a friend to just have an honest conversation about what's happening in our world. To that end, as a church, we want to do our part in helping to find practical solutions to cancer's impact on our community. So as a church, here's what we're committed to doing. We're going to make a total donation of $2,000. We're going to give $1,000 to an organization called Black Health, and we're going to give another $1,000 to an organization called Sisters by Choice. We've included those websites on the screen uh, for you if you want to go and check out what those organizations are doing. Black Health is uh, www.blkhlth.com. There it is, blackhealth.com without the uh, vowels and then sistersbychoice.org. Both of these organizations are headquartered locally here in the metro Atlanta area. Uh, Black Health prioritizes uh, colorectal cancer other diseases that adversely affect African-Americans at a higher uh, rate than other races. And then Sisters by Choice has a focus on, uh, on breast cancer. Amen? And uh, I'm excited that we get to, to do what we can to help sow some seed into moving the conversation and the solution forward. Here's the truth. You don't need to have had uh, cancer scare to have ever experienced an encounter so close that you know you wouldn't have survived it if God wasn't with you. Everybody in this room is a survivor of something. Everybody in this room has overcome something. When you look back on the experience, you were so close to the edge, trying not to lose your head, <laughs> that in retrospect, you have no logical conclusion except this. I'm still alive because God was on my side. I can't explain it to you. I don't have any scientific reasoning. It don't even make logical sense. But God was with me. I recognize that the only advantage I have in this moment is that I have the microphone. But the truth be told, we did a mic toss today. We just passed microphones up and down the aisles of this church. We will be here until this time next Sunday hearing testimonies of how you have overcome. For me, I overcame a childhood of, uh, I was just an injury-prone child. Uh, it was so bad that I think my mama had me at Hugh Spaulding so often that they started looking at her with a third eye to make sure that I was in a safe environment. I fractured my left ankle once, my right ankle twice. I fractured the left ring finger. Uh, in a freak accident, got a cut on the left leg with 14 stitches at eight years old. And that was all before I was diagnosed with scarlet fever. The thing about the scarlet fever episode was I was walking around with it for weeks before I finally told my mama, Mama, uh, something ain't right. Took me to the doctor, come to find out I should have been hospitalized with something. I was just walking around town. I can make no logical conclusion for why none of that took me out. I can make no logical conclusion for why no stray bullet in the hood I was raised in lodged itself in my body. I can make no logical argument for why I fell asleep driving on 285 
for two miles, caused an accident, broke my nose, but I stand here today to tell the testimony. I have no logical conclusion except God was with me. You see, when you realize it's the mercy that is a result of the presence of God, you walk with a different humility and confidence. You walk with humility understanding that there are people who succumb to the same thing I survived, and I have no reason to boast. All I can do is be grateful that I made it through. But I got a confidence to know that if God was that intimately acquainted with my life, with all that's going on in the cosmos, that he would save me over and over again, I got the confidence to know he must have saved me for a reason. And I want to be a faithful steward over his divine reason. Truth is, family, we're still alive because God was on our side. Now, I want to make a tangential point here. Because a part of um, my sacred responsibility is to speak eulogies over loved ones that we uh, that, that transition. And if you've had a loved one like my wife has, she's lost both an aunt and a grandmother in the same year, both succumbed to breast cancer. If you're here and struggling with survivor's remorse or somewhere torn between, how do we celebrate those who overcome without grieving those who succumb? I think we do both, right? There's room to do both. There's nuance in God. But our faith tells us as believers that Christians who succumb in this physical life to anything didn't lose. They just won different. Okay, Paul says it this way, for me to live is Christ, but for me to die is gain. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13 through 14 says, but I don't want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who've fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. So we grieve and we celebrate all at once. There are a couple things from Psalm 124 I hope we can appreciate today as a room full of survivors singing to God. Here's the first thing. Number one, survivors sing about the presence of God. We sing about the presence of God. From verse 2 down to verse number 5 of Psalm 124, they're singing about situations that God showed up in. <laughs> From verse 2 down to verse number 5, it says, if it had not been the Lord who was on our side, when men rose up against us, verse 3, they would have swallowed us alive their, when their wrath was kindled against us. The waters would have overwhelmed us. The streams would have gone over our souls, and the swollen waters would have gone over our souls. From verse 2 down to verse 5, they're describing situations they should have died in. That the only way they survive is because God was present with them. The context behind this psalm is it's a part of a collection of psalms called the Psalms of Ascent. Okay? So there are 15 psalms from Psalm chapter 121 over to chapter 134. And they would sing these songs as they travel from Palestinian territory up this mountain in Jerusalem to worship God three times a year. They would go to the temple for these feasts three times a year. And as they ascended up the mountain, 
to go and worship, they would sing these worship songs to God. It's almost like how we use Spotify or Apple playlists when we're either working out or cleaning up or coming to church. We have playlists to set the mood. But these people singing through these psalms pre-treated their souls for what they anticipated when they got to the temple. And so they would sing about the presence of God because what they understood about that journey and about life's journey is that they would not have made it if God wasn't present. <laughs> it's something about every successful journey that it's a microcosm of life's journey. Like today when we drive home, from here to home, and I believe we're going to make a home safely. When we get there, we ought to give a thank you, Lord. <laughs> I can't take for granted that a path I've driven a hundred times today was still safe for me. Because one journey is a small picture of life's journey. <laughs> and every time the Lord lets me make it from point A to point B safely, I reflect on his presence. When was the Lord present? He was present against threatening enemies. He was present amidst treacherous environments. And he was present amongst terrifying experiences. Let me run that back. He was present, A, against threatening enemies. Verse 3, they talk about how we wouldn't have survived if you weren't present when our enemies wanted to devour us whole. If the enemy had their way with us, they would have rid the earth of us when their anger was kindled against us, when they, when they decided to be on the attack. The only way we survived the attack that we didn't even perceive coming is because you were present and you protected us from dangers that we weren't even aware of. Or we were in war or trying to run from an enemy and we found ourselves in a situation with an enemy more powerful than we, but the only conclusion is we survived because you was on our side. What you mean, Rev? This song is reflective. They're singing about the heritage of their people. And we remember, remember that these people were running from Pharaoh, trying to run to freedom. They got to a Red Sea. It was a mountain on both sides and an army coming behind them. These people aren't warriors. They aren't soldiers. They don't have any military training. They don't have any weapons. And they have the most powerful man on earth with the most powerful army to boot right on their heels. And there's no logical, militaristic way for how they're going to make it out of this situation. But God says, I don't need logic and I don't need a military. All I need is a man with a stick and a stutter to raise up the rod and watch me be God. Is there anybody who can testify? Rev, I know what you're talking about because I've had some fights I should have lost on paper. If you look at the tail of the tape, Everything was against me, but here I am today because God showed up in the midst of a battle to deliver me miraculously. You ought to give God praise for the fact that he'll save you from your enemies. He'll do it. It wasn't just Pharaoh they was running from, but it's the Philistines they live right next door to. <laughs> and these Philistines had giants, and these Philistines are a thorn in the side of Israel. Yet the Lord's presence kept that border safe to protect God's people then. And so they sang about his presence against enemies. Not just against threatening enemies, but it also be amidst treacherous environments. Treacherous environments. Here's the thing. If it's not an enemy I'm facing, it's an environment I'm just trying to survive. 
And from verse 4 down to verse number 5, they describe an environment using the metaphor of water. And if you read it too fast, you will miss that they talk about water, streams, swollen water. Do you see that? I'm in verse number 4 and 5. Water, streams, swollen water. Water is an environment that if you don't have something to keep you afloat, you can succumb to. But they use it metaphorically to describe how situations go from bad to worse to worser. <laughs> Waters, streams, swollen water. What you mean, ref? It's one thing to have to wade water. <laughs> Nihawa, water. Wade through it. But it's still. All right? It's not moving. That's one thing. It's a whole other thing when that Nihau water start moving. Because now I'm not just fighting against the water, I'm fighting against the current under the water that could grab an ankle and cause me to lose my stability. It's a whole nother thing when that water becomes a stream that's now swollen. It, it, it's no longer at knee high, now it's chest high. Because these waters have flooded, they're at flood stage. And so I find myself trying to navigate and wade across an environment that becomes increasingly more treacherous. Is that not a picture of life? <laughs> Your life will be easy if things just stop moving. Just move. Everything just move. Just be still. If the bills can be still, if the kids can be still, if these emotions could be still, Lord have mercy. You can all just be still. It's fine. When it starts moving, that's a whole other thing. Then when it mounts on pressure in every area of your life, deadlines in every area of your life, expectations in every area of your life, now it's, it's, it's climbing on you and it's moving on you and it makes you wonder sometimes, ah, keep from going. That great hymn of the church. <laughs> when we think about our enemies, we think about Ephesians 6, 12. But we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, rulers of darkness of this age, spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. When we think about our environments or our experiences, notice 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 8 through 10. It says, we're hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. Here's the thing. We'll all have the enemies. We'll all have the environments and the experiences that should have taken us out. But God's presence in our life doesn't mean we won't go through it. His presence, his presence, excuse me, is the reason why 2 Corinthians 4, 8 through 10 says, but not. Because his presence in it outdoes what it would have done if he weren't present with us. See, being a believer don't never mean that you're not going to face nothing. It don't mean you're not going to get a diagnosis that you wouldn't wish on your worst enemy. It doesn't mean you're not going to get a phone call that you wish you didn't get in the middle of the night. Here's what it does mean. When you do get it, you won't get it on your own. When you do walk through it, you won't walk through it alone. The psalmist says, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, 
I will fear no evil. Why? Because I am not alone. You are with me. Is there anybody who's ever been in a dark situation who can testify? God, I'm glad you didn't leave me to my lonesome. When we sing of survival, we got to reflect on the presence of God. He was present against threatening enemies. He's present amidst treacherous environments, and he's present against or amongst terrifying experiences. To the overcomers in the room, I can't imagine how terrifying this, this experience could have been for you, particularly to those who overcame breast cancer or some other form of cancer. I can't imagine the roller coaster of emotions that you face. But as I stated before, I restate now, we're not here to encourage you. We draw courage from your presence. Because the truth is, you don't need a cancer scare for life to be terrifying. And even when life becomes terrifying, we know that the Lord is present with us. Survivors sing about the presence of God. Number two, survivors sing about the power of God. See, when we sing that we wouldn't have made it if God went on our side, here's what we're saying. The Lord was there with us. He showed up. But that's not it. The Lord also showed out. <laughs> he was there. That's presence, right? He showed up. But he also, he did something. That's power. That means he, he showed out. Meaning when he showed up, his presence actively changed the factors in the circumstance that gave me a favorable outcome. And from verse 6 down to verse number 8, we see the power of God reflected in ways that is worth singing about from now until eternity. In verse number 6, we see his power as our protector. Everybody say protector. In verse number 7, we see his power as our savior. Everybody say savior. And in verse number 8, we see his power as our maker. Everybody say maker. God's power is evident in this song. What you mean, our Savior? Verse number six, it says, blessed be the Lord who has not given us as prey to their teeth. In this scenario, he's describing enemies as predators. And I want to reread a verse that uh, Reverend Robinson read last week when he stepped in so ably and preached about the victorious life. He read this verse. I want to reread it now. First Peter 5, verse number eight, it says, be sober, vigilant. Because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Meaning, Satan, like a predator, is looking for the weaklings in the flock. And he targets those who drift from the shepherd and the flock. And he's looking for those who've fallen out of fellowship. He's looking for those who are not where they're supposed to be. He's looking for those who are distracted instead of paying attention. Those are the ones he goes to attack. But verse number six says that we bless the Lord because he didn't just give us up as prey. Even though the predator was licking his chops to devour us, God, hear me now, protected us. He protected us. Meaning, I have no logical explanation for how the predator didn't consume me except my shepherd stepped in and protected me as a sheep. All right. So, for some of us, it may be difficult to appreciate this shepherd-sheep metaphor because we don't live in an, uh, in an agricultural uh, society. But I was talking to a friend this week, and I don't know the author, but this thought is not original to me. He was sharing a thought, and he said that theology is always tied to biography. Right? 
And what he meant was, biography is my story. Theology is what I learned about God from my story. So what he's saying is, if you need clarity on your theology, think back over your biography. And what you'll learn from your biography is some real good theology. <laughs> so the reason David could say, the Lord is my shepherd, is because David was looking at his biography. And when he looked back over his story as a boy, he was a shepherd over his father's sheep. And he understood intuitively what a shepherd does for sheep. They step in to protect sheep from predators. So when David is speaking, David says, based on my story, here's what I know to be true about God. The Lord is my shepherd. But the reason y'all looking at me with that tone of face, because we can't really appreciate what it means to be a sheep or to be a shepherd, is because shepherding ain't in your biography. The question is, what is in your biography? For somebody in this room, he's a rent payer. For somebody in this room, he's a father to the fatherless. For somebody in this room, he's a mother to the motherless. For somebody in this room, he'll love you when you are abandoned. For somebody in this room, he'll draw you near when you are rejected. I don't know your story. You know your story. So when you sing your song, sing your song to your God based on your story. Is there anybody who can testify, Lord, when I look back over my life, I see scenarios where you step in and protected me. And I'm so glad that I'm here today to sing my song to my God. You ought to open your mouth, put your hands together, and give God praise for the fact that he'll save you from some situations. That's what he'll do. He is your protector. And if the sheep shepherd metaphor don't work for you, put one in that does. He's not just our protector. He's our savior. The psalmist says in Psalm 121 verse 7, the Lord shall preserve you from all evil. He shall preserve your soul. That's protector. But then verse number 7 gets to the fact that he's our savior. I like verse 7. Verse 7 says, our soul has escaped as a bird from the snare of the fowlers. The snare is broken, and we have escaped. What's going on? <laughs> Verse 6, he's our protector. Verse 7, he's our savior. What does that mean? That means God's power is evident to keep us out, <laughs> and God's power is evident to get us out. Because sometimes he'll keep you out and sometimes he gotta get you out. <laughs> See, verse 7 says, I was in a trap like a bird. And if he didn't step in to deliver me from that trap and to break that trap, that trap would have cost me my life. The scary thing about the trap is I flew right into it without even paying attention to the fact that it was there because the trap was used by a professional bird catcher to lure me based on my weakness and my appetite. So my appetite and weakness caused me to fly into some rooms the Lord told me never to go in and to perch on some branches I knew I shouldn't have settled in. And right when I was almost caught, the Lord looked at me in my pitiful state and loved me so much that he got me out of stuff I got myself into. 
I ain't come here to judge you this morning. I just came to say what I'm saying. But is there anybody who can testify? Reverend, you ain't talking to somebody who ain't never needed God to get me out of some stuff I got myself into. The Lord told me, don't you fly over there. But here I go with my bird brain. I flew right into the situation. He told me to stay out of. I perched right on the branch. He told me to stay out of. And I was trapped in a trap. But he came and rescued me by his power. He'll do it. Sometimes his power is, I'm going to keep you out. Sometimes his power is, I'm going to get you. You know what's the crazy thing about verse number seven? The fowler is a professional bird catcher, and the fowler will use a trap on one bird because it worked for another bird before them. See, this fowler is smart. The, the, the fowler will use the same trap over and over again because that trap keeps working over and over again. And based on the breed or type of bird the fowler's trying to catch would determine where he lays the trap because different birds got different appetites, right? So if he want to catch the same type of bird, he's going to use the same exact trap and he's going to put it next to the same type of lure because he knows all dodo birds like this. That's why Satan will use the same thing to try to get you that he used to try to get your mama. He knows more about your bloodline than you do. You may have never met your father, but he knows what's in your father's DNA code. You may have never met your grandfather, but he know how he got your grandfather. So here's what he's going to do. Since that trap worked on the generations before, and since he put it right in the same spot then, and he knows what's in you more than you knows what's you know what's in you, he's going to put that trap right in the same spot over and over again. But the shouting news about verse number seven is, whew, not only does he get me out of the trap, he destroys the trap. You missed it. It says, the snare is broken. Everybody say broken. Is there anybody who can praise God, not just for the stuff he got you out of, but for the traps he broke so the people coming behind you won't be stuck in the same scenario you were stuck in? Somebody ought to give God praise for the fact that he broke the snare of poverty. He broke the snare of a lack. He broke the snare of broken homes. You ought to praise God for the fact that the same problems in the previous generation won't show up in the next. Is there anybody grateful for the fact that he'll save you and keep you up? I'm done, y'all. Verse number eight, he's our maker. Verse eight says, our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. That is to say that if he made it all, he still governs it all. all right? I want to talk to the person who's not yet a survivor. You're still going through. Like, you're still facing your enemies. You're still in your environment and your experience. And you're finding it difficult to sing about overcoming because you doubt that God is in control of your enemies, your environment, and your experience. All of us, if we could be honest, have faced scenarios where we doubted God was in control or where we believed the enemy was more powerful than God. We believed the environment was more powerful than God. 
or the experience was more powerful than God. And we find ourselves asking really deep questions, some that we're even scared to bring up in church. Because for whatever reason, coming in church with a question on your mind like, is God good, makes us feel this sense of unnecessary judgment. Like, really, Rev? So God is good all the time. When you say all the time, do you mean all the time or you mean sometimes, right? We can say it. A lot of us struggle to believe it because we face times that we can't yet reconcile. How is the goodness of God to be seen and felt through this experience? Verse 8 says that he is the maker of heaven and earth. Now, I didn't mean to go here, but, you know, since I'm here. There are different belief systems systems about the reality or the presence of God. For example, atheism is the disbelief that God exists. Deism, I believe is the right term, is the belief that if he exists, he is detached from creation. Meaning, I can accept that God is real. What I can't accept is that he's in control. Right? It's obvious he made it and let it go. Because if he is who we say he is, and he's in control like we say he's in control, you can look at what's going on now in Israel, between Israel and the Palestinians, trying to figure out, is he really maker? Is he really sovereign? How many people by show of hands have ever had this struggle? Me too. All right. The beautiful thing about Psalm 124 is this song in retrospect, all right? Here's what I mean. Faith is what we use prospectively. Praise is what we give retrospectively. Sometimes you can give praise by faith. But sometimes the situation is so harrowing that it's hard to praise in it. It's only easy to praise after it. Notice the tense of Psalm 124. Psalm 124. If it had not. So here's what I want to encourage you to do. I want to encourage you not to shrink in the tension between prospect and retrospect. Don't fold between what you use your faith for and what you use your praise for. (laughs) What you mean, Ram? Use faith for what ain't happened yet and use praise for what already has. (laughs) See, the questions we have today are going to be answered tomorrow, but if we can keep it a buck, it's some answers we got today from questions we used to have yesterday. So when we say verse number eight, my help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth, faith tells me if he made it, he still governs it. And even though it seems to be topsy-turvy in ways I can't reconcile intellectually, I'm going to use my faith to trust that even if it's not good, he's going to work it out for my good. And while I'm using my faith forward, I'm going to use my praise backwards. Here's why. Because for the years that are past and the stories that are past and the experience that are past, I can tell the truth. I wouldn't have made it if God wasn't with me. Is there anybody who can testify if it had not been? 
I didn't really mean to go there, so I may go deeper on that in a series soon. Because I don't want to just leave you, you know what I'm saying? But as we sing, the survivor sings of the presence of God. We sing of the power of God. Last of all, I've already tipped my hand. We sing out praises to God. That's what we do. Survivors sing praises to God. Verse number one and verse number two, if you read it too fast, you'll think it's a typo. It's like, it's like, they sound the same. Verse number one, if it had not been the Lord who was on our side. Verse number two, if it had not been the Lord who was on our side. Question is, what's happening between verse one and verse two? Is this a typo in the translation? Is this a mistake? No, it's not. What it is is, it's the lining of a hymn of praise. <laughs> See, back in the day, uh, you remember churches that would open up with devotion? All right? And the deacons would come down front, get the microphone, and they would speak the word. God, me, oh, thou. Great Jehovah. Pilgrim through this barren land. I am weak, but thou art mighty. Hold me with thy powerful hand. Now, we done sung this song a thousand times. But still every Sunday, they're going to get up and line the hymn. What are they doing? They are laying out what we are about to sing out. So after they speak it, then we sing it. It's the lining of a hymn. So verse number one, as they're marching up this mountain for worship, the leader, Greg Kirkland is saying, if it had not been the Lord who was on our side, let Israel not say. And all the tenors, sopranos, and altos, and baritones, <laughs> and no tones. <laughs> we're marching behind the worship leader, and we're going to sing out what the worship leader has just laid out. And what's happening is, now we're singing praises to God based on the standard that was set and the words that were spoken. This is why you got to be careful of who you let speak what over your life. This is why you got to be careful of who you let lead you spiritually. This is why you got to be careful of whose steps you follow. Because we need people who are leading us to sing praises to God. Why? Because sometimes you sing yourself into a better disposition. Is there anybody who can testify, Reverend? I know what you mean. Because sometimes I come in this church and I don't feel it. But all of a sudden, a song starts to emanate in the atmosphere. And a tone is set. And once the tone is set and I start to sing along, all of a sudden I realize that my soul wakes up and vivifies in me. And something starts to happen from my toes to the top of my head. I start to feel better about my situation. Is there anybody who can testify? Lord, I love you. I thank you. And I'm grateful for a church where your praises ring out week in and week out. You ought to give God praise for the fact that we're setting a tone of worship. That's what survivors do. Here's my ask. My ask for you this week is to get in your mind a close encounter that you know you only survive because of the Lord. Sometimes we become so distracted by what's happening now so frustrated by what may happen next that we forget to think about what's already happened. 
Think about a close encounter that you only survived because God was with you. That's my ask. Here's the action item. Twofold. One of them is on the screen. The other one I just sense. I sense it right now. All right? The first action item is put an annual reminder on your calendar or your phone to praise God for being with you then. All right? So I'm going to give you an example. I was in a car accident March 19, 2007. It was a Monday. Uh, and I fell asleep driving. And uh, so now what I'm going to do is I'm going to go on my phone and put every March 19th, I need to thank God for being with me in that car accident. So that my phone will remind me, if the Lord let me see March 19th, 2024, my phone is going to remind me that God was on my side. So the ask is, get it in your mind. What's something you survived that you wouldn't have made it through if God wasn't with you? The action item is use your phone or some kind of calendar to give you the annual reminder. If you can't remember the day it happened, make up a day. Make up a day, all right? Just a, just a day of observance. It's almost like Christmas. Jesus wasn't born on December 25th. It's just a day of observance because he was born. So if you don't remember the day that happened, that's cool. Make up a day. Put it on your calendar and give yourself an annual reminder that if I if it was not for God on my side, I wouldn't have made it. Here's the second action item. And this may be for everybody, maybe for some. Somebody in here needs to write a song of praise to God based on what you survived. And that song may not be for public consumption. It may just be for private worship. Because what you survived was so scary that you can't just leave those emotions there. Go back and get those emotions and repurpose them and lean into a unique phrase between you and God that takes all that pain and that fear and that doubt and repurposes it to intentional gratitude so you can keep on processing what you've already survived. Amen, church? Amen. Come on and give the Lord a hand cup of praise if you would.